This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, everybody. What a privilege it is to have you uh, to be here and uh, have the opportunity to worship together with you. And this is the late group, right? So you're like skipping lunch to have this sermon today. That's pretty good. Yeah. We used to have a guy who would come to our church in Pennsylvania. He'd say, you're thinking about your roast and toast and what you need is the Holy Ghost. So I'm thinking like when you come to church at this time of the day, that's uh, pretty awesome. Tom and Candy are longtime friends of ours. We love them and admire them and are so thankful for what God is doing through you here at CLC, Tom. This is just amazing, really. And uh, we've been here uh, once before a few years ago and to be back and see all the cool things that are happening is great. How many Jamaicans? Jamaica, I saw some, yeah, Jamaica. You know, when I was a young man, I was, uh, I felt like the Lord called me to be a missionary evangelist, to preach overseas. So my first trip was to Jamaica. First time I ever preached overseas was in Kingston, Jamaica for a pastor named V.T. Williams. Does that ring, anybody recognize that name? He was well known. And so he would come to our church in Pennsylvania and he invited me as a young man to come to Jamaica and preach. So he set us up in this village outside of Kingston somewhere. I remember uh, visiting, is it Ocheria? Are there some beautiful falls in Ocheria? So we would go there. But anyway, he set this up and it was under a tent in a village, just a couple of light bulbs. And they built this platform, which was not too well built. So it was like, it had areas that were sagging, you know? So when I would be preaching and walking, it would be like I'd go down in the dip and then come up again and go back down in the And so it was nighttime, it was hot, it was raining. It was, uh, it was just one of those nights. And the platform became like wet and slippery, right? And so I'm walking down in one of these valleys and my feet slipped out from under me and I hit the deck. And everybody started shouting because they thought I was out in the spirit. It was great. It was awesome. But I was just like, I just fell. So I got back up and just kept right on preaching. So if anything like that happens to me today, just hang in there. I'll just keep right on preaching, right? We'll just keep going. Um, I want you to meet my beautiful young wife, Pat. Come on, Pat, stand up. You know what? We're going to celebrate 46 years of marriage next month. 46 years. That's a long time. Seems like a short time, but it is a long time. That's better than if it was a short time and seems like a long time, right? But uh, listen, I, when I grew up in Pennsylvania, I had never, I never heard of Pentecostals. And then a Pentecostal evangelist came to our town and conducted a revival meeting, and I went to the meeting. And it was like the shock of my life, because I was from a very, very conservative church where you actually went to church to catch up on your sleep, seriously. You'd catch a nap, it was so boring. And so here is this guy, 
he's a Pentecostal evangelist, and he was like shouting and sweating and spitting and walking up and down the aisle. And I'm watching him. I'd never seen anything like this. So I'm watching him. I'm going like, what have they done to make him so angry? I thought he was mad at them because he was shouting at them. But Jesus got a hold of my heart. And at the end of the service, I went to the altar to give my heart to Jesus. And I was up there praying, right? And all these young people were gathered around and they're praying for me. And so this is my first Pentecostal experience. So they're pushing down on me, you know? And one of them says, let go. And another says, hold on. So I'm like, what am I, and like schizophrenic, you know? What do I do, let go or hold on? So I meant let go of your sin and hold on to Jesus, but I didn't know that, you know? I'm like, whoa. So I went through this time of prayer and uh, I got up to go back to my seat and I turned around and there in front of me was Pat. She was one of those young, she was standing right there. You remember that night, Pat? It's right there. I never met her. I didn't know who she was. But I can tell you, my mind went from heavenly things to earthly things. <laughs> Just like that. I was like, like Adam, I said, whoa, man. But he said woman, but I said, whoa, man. But seriously, we had our first date. Like, that was a Friday night. We had our first date two nights later. And here we are celebrating our 46th anniversary. So it's, that's pretty awesome. So, so when I asked her to marry me, uh, I knew I was going to be a missionary. And I had only met two missionaries. One lived in Africa in a house made out of cow manure. Seriously. He would describe his house. It was like a mud hut made out of cow manure bricks. The other lived on a houseboat on the Patan River in the jungles of Guatemala. All right? So those were the two missionaries I knew. So when I asked Pat to marry me, I said, you know if you marry me, I'm going to be a missionary, and that's going to mean you're going to live in a mud hut or on a riverboat. And she said, I'd rather live with you in a mud hut than not live with you at all. She. So... I use that against her all the time, all the time. You remember saying that? Okay, no, I'm kidding about that. So it is, it's just great to be here with you. Pat and I consider it a great honor. You're, you're one of the, you're a lovely congregation. I mean, I love your rhythm. I love your energy. It's a thing of my dreams. Here I am, just an old grandpa. Sala told me this morning in the green room, Tom and Candy are her mama and papa. Pat and I are her grandpa and grandma. It's like, geez, yeah, look at the black hair and the white hair. So that makes sense to me. Sala, you're awesome. I, you're awesome. You were just this quiet person. What happened to you? You were this quiet person. It's a good thing. And now you're giving reports about God using you to, you know, to do amazing things. And uh, I was just thinking, I'm going to help you with that project. 
I don't know how. We'll figure it out with Tom. But because Africa is not my part of the world where I work, but we'll figure something out. But we want to help you with that project in your capital city. I, I'm just so thrilled about that and what you all have done. Hey, Tom talked about in the video was about this project in Egypt. So uh, I'm really excited about that. Uh, the scripture says to everything there's a time and a season and there is a time for every purpose under heaven. So the Assemblies of God have, has been sending, we've been sending missionaries to Egypt for over a hundred years. Over a hundred years, think about that. And we have, we have labored through all the seasons. We, we've had spring planting times, really. We've had summer droughts when, when it seems like you, you've advanced and now you lose ground. You gain and then you lose, summer droughts. We've had fall harvests. There's been amazing times in Egypt. And then we've had some long, dark winters. Recently, it's been a dark winter, but it seems like it's springtime. And there's been a lot of times in Eurasia that we've said, Eurasia missionaries go with a hoe and not a sickle because it's springtime and not harvest time. So I grew up on a farm and the sickle is for fall and harvest. The hoe is for spring and planting. I have a feeling we're entering fall season. I'm gonna tell you a couple of stories that will help you understand Egypt. One of the first missionaries, American missionaries, Assemblies of God to Egypt was a lady named Lillian Hunt Trasher. She was born in 1886 in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, she heard the testimony of a man who had come to Jesus, a neighbor in a Bible study, and so she was intrigued with what it meant to follow Jesus. So she's 10 years old and she's walking home from school one day and she slipped off into the woods and she said, Lord, I wanna be your little girl, 10 years old. And she thought for a moment and she said, if there's ever anything I can do for you, just let me know, Lord, and I'll do it. Why? Sometimes we say things that set things into motion in the spiritual world that we don't know. Here's a little girl saying, I wanna be your little girl, and if there's everything, ever anything I can do for you, just let me know and I'll do it, 10 years old. Well, as she grew up, she had a heart for God. She went to Bible school. She pastored a church for a while. And then she uh, became engaged to a young man named Tom Jordan. He was actually a Methodist and he pastored like, like I think 10 churches. So he'd travel around, he was a circuit riding preacher. And so she was gonna marry this guy and they were gonna pastor together, right? And so, um, 10 days before the wedding, this is in 1910, 10 days before the wedding, she went and heard a missionary to India speak and the Lord spoke to her heart about Egypt. So remember she said, Lord, if there's everything, everything, ever anything I can do for you, just let me know and I'll do it. And so she, um, in, a, in a prayer meeting, she opened her Bible to Acts chapter 734, where it says, 
I have seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. Now, can you imagine this girl just opens the Bible? And I have heard their groaning, and I am come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. So, so she took that as a confirmation. She went to her fiancé, Tom Jordan, and she told him that God had called her to Egypt, and she was going to have to uh, go to Egypt. He said, oh, it's okay, I'll wait for you. See, he was thinking short term. And she said, no, what God has called me to do will take decades to do. And so she broke off with him, and uh, she, uh, in October of that year, just a few months later, God provided the money, and her and her sister set sail for Egypt. Later, Loyan said, God allowed me the privilege of giving up everything for him. Think about that. I'm talking about Lillian Trasher because we're doing an Egypt project and she's so foundational to what happened there and what led us to this day that I want you to know, I want you to know her story. So God provided the finances. She got on a boat, her and her sister, and they set sail for Egypt. She got there and went to the city of Asut and she found the local host family who would take her in and help her learn the language and learn the culture and learn how to live in Egypt. Well, uh, shortly after she arrived, a father with a little tiny baby girl showed up and left the baby girl on the doorstep of the house because he was going, he was going to throw the baby in the Nile River to drown it. And then someone told him about this American missionary dropped the baby off and she took it, got thrown out of the Egyptian's house because the baby cried all night and they said, the baby has to go and she said, if the baby goes, I go. So she started, uh, basically started an orphanage. She never turned a child away. From that time on, word got out that she was taking in children. She never turned a child away. Now, Mama Lillian, I don't know how you might imagine her, but the stories I've read about her, she was quite a character. So one day, a family is traveling through her neighborhood and some bandits tried to steal the children from the family. And Mama Lillian came running out of her house. They were brandishing swords and knives and Mama Lillian's yelling at them in, in Arabic. She's grabbing swords and knives and driving everybody off, saved the kids. The father was killed in the, in the, in the fight and she took in the mama and the two kids and they lived in her, in Mama Lillian's orphanage, were raised in that orphanage. She was quite a lady. So by, uh, by the 1960s, she went out there in 1910. By the 1960s, she had 1,500 children in Mama, Lill Mama Lillian's orphanage home. Served 4,500 meals a day. Did not have any underwritten support, all, all was by faith every day, what people would give and what people would provide. So uh, one day she couldn't make her payroll. And so a guy named Fizz Pham, who was an orphan that had grown up in her orphanage, she had raised him. He was now like her business manager and her bookkeeper. And so he heard him, he'd learned faith from Mama Lillian. So he heard Mama Lillian praying and asking God for $200 so she could make payroll. 
So he came to her after she finished prayer and he said, look, why not ask abundantly? We need lentils and beans and clothing, so why don't you ask for $300? So Mama Lillian went back to prayer and asked for $300. Then he, then he said, uh, and the kids need clothes, and so why not ask for 500? So she went back and asked for 500. And then he challenged her on her limited faith, and she finally said, Lord, you do whatever you think is needed, right? So she leaves the house, she's going to the post, uh, she's going down the street, she meets the postman who hands her a letter, she opens it, and in it is a check for $1,000. So like, yeah, it's all, so like her life story is filled with these kind of miraculous sort of things. Another time, she was away, and the four and five-year-olds came to the cook and said, we can't eat these lentils and beans anymore. We need some meat. Cook said, I have no meat. You must ask God to give it to you. While the tots were praying, a man, yes, hallelujah, a man showed up at the door with half a beef. <laughs> so, so you got these, what I'm trying to say is, you have this history of an Assemblies of God church in Egypt that flows out of Mama Lillian. And by the way, she had a lot of names. They call her the mother of the Nile and, and Mama Lillian, that was her most popular name. They said there's at least 100 women in, in Cairo named Lillian, even though no one who's Egyptian names their kids Lillian. But she was such an example that she had people that were named after her. She died December 17, 1961, after 50 years of taking in kids in Egypt. She raised basically a generation of kids who would know Jesus, know faith, and would follow her lifestyle. We're going to talk a little bit about the Assemblies of God in Egypt, and the early, almost all of the early pastors were Mama Lillian's boys. She'd poured into them and invested in them and taught them faith and prayer, and they came out of there and became a part of the early planting of the Assemblies of God. Here's, a, I want to share this with you. Her favorite, she said, my work reminds me of a fable. This was her favorite way of describing her work. She said, it's like a little boy that was crossing a desert and he became very thirsty. So he was obliged to dig in the ground with bleeding fingers until he found water. He would drink and then go on his weary way. So each time he became thirsty, he dug holes with his hands as they became more torn and bleeding. At last he reached the other side of the desert, exhausted, fainting, and his clothes hanging in dirty rags. Some months later, he looked back across the desert where he had come from, and he saw a happy little boy coming across the desert. His hands were full of fresh flowers. The child was coming the same way he had traveled. He looked at the strange sight in perfect amazement. When the little boy arrived, he asked him how could it be that he had crossed that awful desert and looked so fresh and rested and cool. The child answered and said, oh, the way is beautiful. He said, there are many small wells. 
out of which spring lovely, cool water. And around each of these wells, there are wildflowers growing, shady bushes and soft green grass. He said, I had no trouble at all crossing the desert. The first boy looked down at his own scarred hands and he knew it was his suffering which had made the desert bloom and had made the way easy for the other little boy to cross. But no one would ever know or thank him for what he had done. So Mama Lillian, she looked back and she said, I I feel sure that the next generation will be different because all of those who have passed through our doors will know how to train and educate their children in the ways of the Lord, Mama Lillian. So Mama Lillian, when you look at Egypt, the history, she left a legacy. So I wanna ask you this morning, what kind of a legacy do you wanna leave? To leave a legacy is to do something that exceeds our own time and space. See, I get a span of life in which to live, all of us do. And we get a space in which we can influence. We have time and space. And if we focus only on that time and space, we leave little when we're gone. But each of us has the opportunity to leave a legacy. We can live in such a way that our influence exceeds the time and space we have been given. That's what Lillian Trasher did. She left a legacy. She took care of kids, but she left a generation of kids that became the founding pastors of the Egyptian Assemblies of God. She left a legacy, something bigger than her time and space. So she taught us to leave a legacy, to do something that exceeds our own time and space, to dig wells from which others will drink. Think of the fable. The one boy had scarred fingers and tattered clothes because he dug wells the next one was able to cross the desert drinking from wells that he didn't dig. So are you digging wells from which you may not drink? Are we digging wells that others who come behind us can drink from those wells? That's what Kingdom Builders is all about. You may not see it. You may not touch it. It may not be in front of you. You may never participate or even participate in the fruit or even know its impact. But Kingdom Builders is about digging wells from which others will drink. It's planting trees from which others will pick fruit. You plant the fruit tree, you don't get to pick the fruit the first year. In fact, sometimes it takes years. Certain trees take years and years before the first fruit. So oftentimes we're not motivated to plant the fruit tree because we know only the people who come behind us will eat the fruit. It's a visionary person who plants a tree from which others will eat the fruit. To put seeds in the ground that others will harvest. So my question this morning, is there a Lillian Trasher in the house? Is there a Lillian Trasher in the house? Other than the one sitting over here behind Pastor Tom? We know there's a Lillian Trasher in the house. Is there someone who will say no to the good and the convenient and the easy in order to say yes to the best? 
I have a friend who did time management training. He taught you how to do a to-do list, right? You get your list and then and you focus for the day and you follow. But he said sometimes you need to set that aside and you need to create a stop doing list. Because yes. oftentimes it's the stuff that is okay and good, but it keeps us from the best. So if you did a stop doing list this morning, what would you put on it? What would you stop doing so you can do something that's more important and more eternal and more legacy building and more kingdom building? Is there someone in the house who will lift their eyes and look over the horizon and see with the eyes of faith what cannot be seen with the physical eye? You see, Lillian Trasher was doing more than taking care of kids. She was doing that, but she was doing more than taking care of kids. She was building a generation of pastors and leaders who have gone on to build the assemblies of God in Egypt. I love Egypt. I mean, I, it's, it's a great place. Cairo, the city is amazing. It's a wonderful place. We want to take Tom and Candy and we, we have our favorite things to do there. You go to, the, you, you go to the pyramids and you ride camels. And you have to watch out because you can get fleas from them. They can turn around and bite you. So I'm just warning you, but we're going to do that. We're going to ride camels. So when they go to Egypt, you pray for them, okay? Uh, and, and then we're going we're gonna to do romantic dinner cruise up and down the Nile River. I mean, how can you beat that? The Nile River. You do a cruise, it's romantic, it's night, it's really good. Then we're gonna take them to our favorite restaurant. It's a place where they serve stuffed doves. All right, you know how big a dove is? It's about that big. Okay, how do you stuff something that big? And what do you stuff it with? We're not telling them. We know, we're not telling them. We're gonna have stuffed doves, our favorite. It's the only thing they serve there, stuffed doves. We're gonna do all the fun stuff. How did I get off on that? Now I've lost my train of thought. Don't you hate when that happens? My wife's going to help me. Oh, okay. We did a trip to Egypt. Okay. Yeah. That was a, that was a little aside right there. It's like a detour. And it was a dead end detour. <laughs> Didn't lead to anything. Uh, so, um, oh, we did this trip to Egypt. And I love history. So we did some historical stuff. First of all, we went to the tomb of a man named Oswald Chambers. Uh, some of you, I know, have read Oswald Chambers' famous work, My Utmost for His Highest. It's, it's a devotional that is, uh, that is relevant. It was written over 100 years ago, was never published in his lifetime. His widow self-published it, and it became known around the world in many, many languages. My Utmost for His Highest. We visited his tomb. He was a British pastor, went to, uh, went to Cairo during World War I to serve uh, British troops as a chaplain. And he contracted, I think, uh, he actually had a burst appendix and died during surgery. He was only there a short time, very young man, and he died in uh, 1917. Then we went to another cemetery, the American Cemetery, and we visited the tomb of a young man by the name of William Whiting Borden. And Borden was born in Chicago to a very wealthy family. In fact, you can still buy Borden dairy products 
That was the company started by his family. Very wealthy. His mother was converted when he was just a little boy, uh, I think at a a Tory meeting. And so he developed a heart for Jesus. And when he graduated from high school in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, his father, as a graduation gift, gave him a trip around the world. I think it was like a year long. Pretty nice graduation gift. You know, if any of your parents are looking for ideas, it's a good one. So while he was traveling, he was, his heart was touched by the needs he saw and uh, by, by the lostness, just people that never had an opportunity to hear the gospel. So he decided that he would be a missionary and he felt God was calling him to the Muslims of, of North China. But he went to Cairo for training to learn culture and about Islam and about the people he was going to reach. And within three months of arriving there, he contracted meningitis and died in 1913. And they buried him in the American cemetery. So we visited his tomb and someone had, someone had cleaned it all up and cleaned all the weeds and polished. It had some brass on it with a plaque and his name and polished everything up and there was a little there was a little uh there was a little icon there from that was over 100 years old just there and while we were there the 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 caretaker of the cemetery came out and he was very upset and so they asked him what he was upset about and he said that he had cleaned this tomb Borden's tomb for another visiting group of Christians and they did not pay him for it. And he said, Christians are liars and they're not good for their money. And so I was there with a couple missionaries and a couple pastors and one of the pastors said, in defense of Christians, I mean, it bothered him that somebody, in defense of Christians, he said, how much did it cost to fix it up? And the man said, $500. And this pastor said, I'll pay for it. All right? So, and then he also got the icon for paying for it. So he paid for it and got the icon. So we're standing there and we're just, the story of Borden is just so moving. You, you might, you might want to Google it and look it up. This it's a fabulous, don't do it now. But when you get home, Google William Whiting Borden. And so I'm standing there and with this group of pastors, missionaries, and suddenly, I, it's very unusual to me, but suddenly into my mind and out of my mouth came these words, uh, Pastor Rob, I believe God will raise up one missionary out of your church for every dollar you gave, 500. He kind of looked at me. He said, Omar, is that a good idea or a God idea? You know, so I'm like, Rob, I think it's a God idea. And he said, I accept the challenge. So, so this church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, committed from that day on to work towards sending out 500 missionaries from their church. Not short term. We're talking missionary assignments. 
So last night I got in touch with their missions director, Justin Mack, because I wanted to know where he, and I said, so Justin, where are we? See, they assign a number to every missionary. So, so if you're the 60th one to go out, you're no longer Tom and Candy Manning, you're number 60. And then number 61. So I said, Justin, where are we? He said, 151. Isn't that awesome? 151 going toward 500. And then I thought, you know what? Borden, when he went out there to be a missionary, three months in the grave, probably never could look over the horizon, could never see the legacy, could never realize the impact of a pastor from Minnesota standing at his grave, a hundred and seven years later, and making a commitment not to support Borden, but to raise 500 to go in his place. See, so what I want to say to you is, when you, when you engage with kingdom builders, you, you don't know what legacy you leave. You, you can't, we can't always see over the horizon. We certainly can't with our physical eyes. Sometimes it's hard with spiritual eyes. But if you can see over the horizon, if you can look over the horizon and think about, maybe you can sponsor one of these churches. So there's 176 churches in the Assemblies of God in Egypt, right? They have a vision to plant 75 more in the next 10 years. Because after years of oppression, where a church could not even change a toilet or paint a door, or replace a window. That long, dark winter of oppression, the current government has lifted those restrictions. And yes, isn't that awesome? And so we are committed to help them rebuild, remodel, reopen, plant new churches all across Egypt. That's what this project is about. That's what the kingdom builders is about. And here's the thing, once you engage, it's amazing to me, once we start forward progress, how God often just shows up and does stuff that we never imagined. So, so we finally have the, like, the window to do this. We have the money committed to do these remodels and reopens and and suddenly, in the course of getting one of these permits to remodel, the government informs the Assemblies of God in Egypt that there are 10 buildings registered to the Assemblies of God that are not being used and they didn't know about. 10 buildings. So suddenly, our commitment to help them expands. And what I'm saying is maybe you're here, maybe, maybe God puts it on your heart to do one of these projects. And you don't know the legacy. I mean, you, you, the dark, the long dark winter and then the springtime and now it seems like harvest time. What if you did one of those projects? And God used, you know what, you may never visit there. You may never, never see it with your eyes, but with your spiritual eyes, you can be, you can be like a mama Lillian and leave a legacy. You can be like a 
William Whiting Borden and leave a legacy he doesn't know he left. But it's amazing what, what God can do through us when we engage. So these are amazing days. You know, uh, Cairo has the most prestigious Muslim university in the world. It's the heart when, start, when stuff starts happening in Cairo to undermine the pillars and the strength and the culture and the religion of Islam, it spreads to the world. We, we've recently, Pat and I have recently visited, uh, just, just two months ago, visited Saudi Arabia. Egypt and Saudi are the heart and soul of the Muslim world. For years, you couldn't get into Saudi. There are no registered churches in Saudi, none, zero. And last year, they opened the doors and they said, we want five million tourists to visit Saudi in the next 10 years. Suddenly, it's open. We have a church planting team in Saudi. A church planting team. We hung, yes, praise God. We hung out with them. They publicly, unashamedly share their faith. And our team leader says, I'm a pastor with the Assemblies of God. And he's sharing his faith. And, and it's just okay. It's okay. We are in the process of registering and opening the first international church, the first church of any kind registered in Saudi Arabia, in Jeddah. It's happening. We're, 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 you won't believe this. We are in the process of registering the Assemblies of God of Saudi Arabia. And it looks very probable. So what I'm saying is that in the seasons, there are dark, long winters of oppression. And then suddenly, man, suddenly, it's like there's a thaw. And the heart and soul of the Muslim world, of Islam, is Saudi and Egypt. And so we have church planting team in Egypt for the first time. And we have the opportunity to come alongside a hundred plus year old Egyptian Assemblies of God, remodel their buildings, bring them up to date, open new ones, plant new ones. What a day. What a day. And you get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of that. So you want to leave a legacy? You may not see it with your physical eyes, but with your eyes of it, can you see? Can you see how you could, how you could leave a legacy? You could make a difference? Somebody comes along and in a year or five years or 10 years, and they're in the kingdom because we seize this opportunity that's real and it's right here it's right here in front of us so I'll close with this there are more Muslims coming to Jesus today than in the history of Islam 1400 years more, more Muslims we have we have I think 78 church planting teams in Eurasia, most of them working in places where the church does not exist. So people can't go to church on Sunday morning. There is no church. So we're starting house churches. And 
in almost every one of our locations and teams, we are starting to get reports back that we call first fruits. First believers in a country. The first believers in a city. Do you hear what I'm saying? These are in Muslim context. So this is an amazing day. It's an amazing day. And I hope you'll join with us. It's a season. Things go in seasons and cycles. So you have to seize the moment. It may not be like this in a year or 10 years, but it's, this is it right now. And we're going to seize the moment. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.